0: It's 11.30 on Tuesday, the 23rd day of March, which means it's time for midday. Another wet one for most of the listening area, but it's good precipitation overall. New record's going to be broken in terms of the amount of rain that's been received in certain locations here in the month of March. We'll obviously hear more about that with Paul Perkins coming up at 11.45. Jason Jorgensen is in. He'll tell us about uh, a new local football head coach in the area. Bob Rogan will tell us how stocks are performing as well. But let's catch up with Susan Littlefield and uh, give us a preview of what's to come here on Midday. And Well, Susan, sounds like uh, in your side of the state, you're, you're seeing some good rain.
1: Oh, yeah. I think it's been raining pretty much since 4 o'clock yesterday morning. and hasn't slowed much. Now it's pouring at the moment. We'll go down to a drizzle, and then it kind of picks up its uh, momentum.
0: How much rain have you received overall uh, on the eastern side of Nebraska?
1: My neighbor said we had almost six inches so far.
0: In the last 24 hours? Yeah. Wow.
1: That's what his rain gauge said. My rain gauge says almost four, but, you know, it all depends on where you're at.
0: Well, either way, that's a lot of rain, four or six inches.
1: It's it's soggy. You walk across the grass, and you can see the water start to form around your shoes.
0: Wow. Okay. All right. All right. Well, uh, what do you have coming up for us here on this National Ag Day?
1: Yes, it is National Ag Day, and it's been fun watching the social media posts and things that people are sharing to educate uh, folks about what happens in the world of agriculture. And we're going to continue to do that on the midday at 1219. It's back to the basics with how the Chicago border trade works to create prices at the local grain elevators. We'll hear about that from Bryce along with Jeff Peterson at Heartland Farm Partners. And Bryce will step back in at 1245 because it is National Ag Day. The Nebraska Department of Ag's director will talk about National Ag Week and some things that they are doing. You know, normally we're gathering in Kearney for for the Governor's Ag Conference. That, by the way, has been pushed to um, August. So we'll have more details about that when it gets closer. But that's what he'll be talking about. And then I'll wrap up everything at 117. It might be wet, but it doesn't mean there isn't still the chance for some wildland fires. And what you need to do to get those pastures and fields back to a good condition after a fire moves through. We'll talk about that at one seventeen.
0: All right. Thank you very much. Stay dry over there.
1: Yes. Thank you.
0: All right. Let's turn things over to Jason Jorgensen and sports. Another day of March. Madness is in the books. New football coaches hired in the area. It's a kind of a busy time of the year. You know, there's plenty to uh, work on. Of course, uh basketball tournament
2: continued last night dark, dark night in the history of KU basketballs. They were curb stomped by USC. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess I wasn't surprised to see Kansas lose that game, but you just don't expect to see those guys be dominated like that.
0: Listen, we shouldn't be surprised this year if you've been following even kind of closely with the men's college basketball. All the blue buds, the traditional powerhouses, uh, either didn't make the tournament or just being wiped out like that. So I suppose uh, rightfully so.
2: The worst loss in 49 trips to the NCAA tournament for the Jayhawks as they were beaten by USC. Creighton is into the Sweet mm-hmm. 16 for the first time and. Almost 50 years, and we'll tell you about uh, Josh Rohde. He's the new head football coach at Elm Creek.
0: All right, good stuff. Let's turn things over to Bob Brogan. How are stocks performing?
3: Banks and energy stocks are leading. The U.S. index is mostly lower in the early going today. Uh, Sales of new homes plunged in February, and a lot of confusion about AstraZeneca's release of new data that uh, some people are questioning about its coronavirus vaccine. All right, all that and more coming up here have
0: time for regional ag weather update here on this uh, sopping Tuesday. <laughs> it's uh, just a quarter till noon. Paul Perkins now joining me here in the studio. And, Paul, some areas receiving a ton of rain in the last 24 hours.
4: Yeah, especially over south central areas of Nebraska to the south of the interstate from about Kearney on over to south of York on it to the nearby parts of Kansas towards about Smith Center. Mm-hmm. Locations there are seeing about two to three inches of rain wow. in the last 24 hours with this system.
0: Our own Susan Littlefield uh, near the Columbus area, uh-huh. she was saying over four inches they've received wow. in the last
4: 24. She said her neighbor over six inches of rain that they've received in the last 24 hours. Wow, well, and I believe it because if you look at the map right now, just Columbus to Omaha is seeing mm-hmm. some pretty good pockets of rain there too currently. So
0: Now note yesterday we talked about some areas, uh, if not most of Nebraska and even some areas of Kansas uh, could see record amounts of rain uh, in terms of the month of March.
4: Exactly, yeah, because uh, especially central and east areas where we've seen the bulk of this rain, because we haven't seen a whole lot of rain from North Platte to McCook and mm-hmm. points off to the east west, but in much of the central and east part of Nebraska and nearby parts of Kansas probably looking at record rainfall amounts for the month of March. And wow. I know uh, many locations were very close to getting that and only needed about maybe an inch, two inch and a half. And they, they've they definitely gotten it. We haven't received any official word yet on if some of those rec- for rainfall totals have been broken yet.
0: I think I did see the National Weather Service said the Grand Island Airport is now the wettest month in March. Wow. Uh, for their region, <laughs> the Grand Island Airport, over six and a half inches so far. But, uh, boy, <laughs> such a weird month so far.
4: Yeah, you know, we've, we've seen it all here. Of course, mm. that can happen in the, the spring right. months of Nebraska, uh, cold to snow to lots of rain. And, you know, maybe we're getting our April showers a little early. We're going to see some May in the month of April here because hey, we're getting a lot of rain this month.
0: That's all right. As long as it's not snow, I think everybody's <laughs> kind of over that, uh, then uh, we'll definitely take this.
4: And if we look at our long-term forecast, we may be looking at those May flowers because uh, it's going to start warming up here shortly.
0: Thinking 60s, uh, 70s, new in the near yeah, future?
4: Well, most likely, yeah, next week. Uh, looking to be very mild as we go into Easter. So, yeah. Okay.
0: All right. Well, this is not a bad report
4: <laughs> overall, then. Yeah. So things are looking up. So, yeah, if you were concerned about a lot of this rain continuing to fall, maybe not getting a break from the rain, some. Uh, dryness is on the way and also some warming so we will be seeing some good opportunities to get things dried out and also get things greened up once again those pockets of moderate to heavier rain from norfolk to grand island and hastings and points to the southeast starting to see some breaks in the coverage of the rain over southeast nebraska and much of northern kansas still that northern tier of counties in kansas from overland to concordia seeing a fair amount of rain especially from about smith center to the mankato area otherwise some lighter amounts of rain currently from Ainsworth down to North Platte, Broken Bow, Hammacook, and also Oberlin. Temperatures for the most part currently in the low to mid 40s, closer to the low 50s though, over far southeast Nebraska into eastern Kansas. Through this evening, more rain will rotate northwest around low pressure. It's currently moving from eastern Kansas on into Iowa. We're on the backside of that system. Additional rain amounts likely to range from a half an inch to an inch in the central and east. Lighter amounts as you go to the west. Total rain amounts May reach as much as 3 inches with this system, but not a lot of flooding expected since it is more of a slow soaker rain. I know some people thinking it is a bit on the overly wet side, but luckily it is coming at a relaxed pace and not all at once. Rain decreases in intensity and coverage for this evening through the overnight. Most areas stay all rain through tonight. Those that do see a mix of snow, unlikely to see any accumulation. High pressure builds in for clearing skies for tomorrow and Thursday. A slight chance of rain is expected over Kansas tomorrow night with the system that passes to our south. Another slight chance of rain passes through the entire area for Friday and Friday night with a quick-moving area of low pressure. Temperatures warm to seasonal for Thursday through Saturday before those temperatures warm to nearly 10 degrees warmer than usual by Sunday. And it looks to stay milder into the long-term forecast. In a change from yesterday's outlook, it's really going to green up after this rain with warmer than normal temperatures, now likely for Nebraska, Kansas, and the western two-thirds of the U.S. for Sunday through the first five days of next month, especially by late next week through Easter. It will be mostly dry with below normal precipitation Sunday through April 5th for Nebraska, Kansas, and the western two-thirds of the U.S. So we may want to enjoy these rains since it will be turning drier. Key weather factors in the markets include more rain from the Midwest and drier weather in central Brazil, the storm crossing the Central Plains. We'll reach the upper Great Lakes by late tomorrow. A second storm taking a similar track from the southern Rockies the middle of this week and moving into the lower Great Lakes by early Friday. Total rainfall from the two storms reaching about 1 to 2 inches in the Midwest. Much higher totals of 2 to 6 inches should occur from the lower Mississippi Valley to the southern Appalachians. The heavy rain in the south may also be accompanied by severe thunderstorms. With the Midwest rain, soil moisture ahead of spring field work showing a significant recharge. In the Southern Plains, the recent heavy rain eliminating or easing the drought for most areas. Winter wheat also breaking dormancy and finding some generally favorable weather. Central Brazil expects only scattered light rain over the next seven days. The drier weather with above normal temperatures... Creating concerns for second crop corn soil moisture, a couple of systems will bring showers to southern Brazil through the next week and help to ease the South's dryness concerns. Now the nice
0: thing about all this rain too is we're not seeing or anticipating and really any flooding.
4: Mm-mm. No, it's coming at a very nice, uh, relaxed pace here. You know we're going to definitely see some uh, puddles of water standing, mm-hmm. but it should be uh, soaking pretty good here over the next few days, and especially when it starts to dry up by next week. Grass should be
0: turning green. Yes. pretty well actually by this time next week, I suppose. Yeah,
4: because I, you know, it's already getting in, in, in good shape. Mm-hmm. But and boy, I bet you we're looking at a pretty good chance of an early spring here.
0: All right. Well, I hope so. <laughs> uh, for a full weather forecast, where can you find that at? Weather page, krvn.com. Thank you.
5: Rice Dusky on the Rural Radio Network, and we're joined now for our weekly conversation with Jeff Peterson, the president of Harlem Farm Partners. Jeff, on today's conversation, kind of want to go back to the basics in terms of some of the things we talk about on a daily basis in our radio coverage, but also the things you work within on the marketing space. And there's, uh, I don't want to call it two categories, but kind of two things I, I think about in particular. So, want to talk about their relationship with each other, being uh, the future, the Chicago Board of Trade futures market, and then back to the local elevator and the grain prices farmers receive when they. They kind of cross the scale. So let's start this conversation and talk about the role that the Chicago Board of Trade and the futures prices play within the market.
6: You know, the Chicago Board of Trade, you know, price, it serves such an important purpose. It gives that foundation, that price that we all, you know, link back to. And if you think about the the bigger purpose of the Chicago Board of Trade really, one is price discovery. And that's changed a little bit over time. You go way back to when we had the pit, and doesn't seem like that long ago, but it's been a while ago, where you had buyers and sellers come together in physical location. And then as we'd expect with the advent of the internet and more electronic trade, then that went away, at least on the future side. And, and actually that buying and selling happens over the internet now and matching up of bids, just like you see on the stock market. So we, we determine what is the fair value of grain all across the world. And then in addition to that, though, we, it, the Chicago Board of Trade also serves an important person in risk transfer. And that allows people, buyers and sellers, to physically transfer that risk over to other people. So you could end up having a grain buyer who buys those bushels. He can physically go out and sell a contract on the Chicago Board of Trade, and maybe you've got a speculative trader that physically wanted to physically buy bushels, so that sell was on the other side of that. So that becomes the price discovery and the risk transfer. But as we dig deeper into what does that mean locally, it, it does become that price that the cash bid is based off of, and, and that becomes an important part of, of how agriculture just goes forward, Bryce.
5: On that note, exactly, Jeff, I've heard a lot of farmers, they tell us, you know, hey, we don't, <laughs> we don't trade in Chicago. I, I sell my grain when I cross the scale. Talk more about that relationship and how the local prices are following that.
6: Yeah, and, and that's exactly right. So you've got the Chicago Board of Trade price gives us that foundation. It's the futures component, but let's take a step in here and look at it. So that cash price, is made up of the futures price and it's made up of the basis. Or to say that another way, the basis is the difference between the cash price and the futures price. So each day as the market's trading that's physically given us a price to work off of and then as we link it back to that local basis and local cash price, you know that's where those regional differences come into play. And what's interesting about that, that basis, you know, it varies all over the United States typically in the western part of the United States, typically we're under the futures price. Mm -hmm. But as you move further east and in areas where in southwest where you get further away from there's a lot of supply, you actually can see the cash price being higher than what the futures price is. And that's where we have a positive basis. So each of those individual areas, it's neat to see how they have a chance to be able to show their bids differently.
5: What are some of the, some of those factors that influence basis the most? I have to think transportation costs and uh, end users uh, play a big factor in that.
6: Yeah, they really do, and I'll give you an example. So let's say we we're setting up a bid. Let's say we're a local grain elevator that ships stuff out on rail. And so what I might do is I might have a customer, say, in Japan, that's a, a miller of uh, corn that's going to use it in their feed mill. So what ends up happening is that they're going to receive a ship from us here in the United States, so freight cost is a big part of that to go ahead and get it transported, let's say, from uh, Seattle, Washington, over to Japan. Very good. Jeff, as always, appreciate your time and your overview of the helping us understand the markets better.
5: That's what uh, we always try to send to this conversation around, so appreciate your time. Oh, you bet. That's always a lot of fun. That is Jeff Peterson, the president of Heartland Farm Partners, and I'm Brian Stuskit on the Rural Radio Network.
0: time for midday sports jason jorgensen stepping back in and well another day of college basketball in the books but uh, also uh, a big news here in the area in terms of uh, of high school football as well yeah
2: there's a little bit of everything going on today former unk star defensive tackle josh rhodi is a new head football coach at elm creek of course he replaces jace Doolin, who's moving over to take over at cozad Roddy this past fall led his alma mater, SCM, to the six-man football playoffs in his first year as coach. Of course, Roddy was quite the player for the Lopers, being all-conference and all-region for UNK. Also, some more developments at the coaching front. Grand Island Central Catholic has removed the interim tag and hired Kevin Mayfield as head coach of its girls' basketball program. Of course, he was in a tough situation here, taking over mm-hmm. late in the year, but he steadied the
0: ship, and the Crusaders ended up going to the state tournament. I forgot about that yeah. whole... Uh that whole thing uh, that That wasn't happened. good. So, by the way, does uh, Stacia Rice is her name, right? Mm-hmm. Did she get a job, or is she going to? Not
2: that I've seen. Okay. And her daughter oh. ended up at Northwest. Right. Wasn't eligible to play, but she will be eligible to play next okay. year. Okay. All right.
0: Interesting. All right. We'll see how that plays out.
2: Former Scots Bluff standout Drew Cookshausen is going to play one final year of college basketball. Today, he announced he'll be playing next year at Northern Colorado. Cookshausen already has had stops at Shadron State, (laughs) Western (laughs) Nebraska Community College, and McNeese State, and now he will play in Greeley. Last year, he hit 125 threes and averaged 19 points per game at McNeese. Tyler, with the new transfer rules and then everyone getting a grace period, Cookhausen will not be the only guy who will have played at four different schools and college. That's
0: amazing. It, it honestly is probably becoming more of a oh, common yeah. thing. Now, from what I understand, he's going back to play for one of his former coaches yes. at Greeley, which was probably the reason why he went there, I would assume. And that's kind of the level where he needs to be at yeah. to succeed. Yeah. I, I don't know if he was a Power 5
2: kid, uh, but at that at the lower level of Division One, and if you need a piece and a guy who can right. shoot the ball, he uh, mm-hmm. he fits the bill. Mm-hmm. Today's also pro day for several Huskers who are looking to show the NFL scouts what they can do. Running back Dedrick Mills breaks down what he hopes to
7: accomplish. They really just wanted to see if I got faster Um, and, you know, just make sure I can catch the ball and stuff like that, making sure I look like a natural catching the ball. And so I want to work on tomorrow, just, you know, focusing on making sure I'm fast enough for them, you know, actually getting out of there, showing my fastest 40 time.
2: He's an interesting prospect who had success in Georgia Tech's triple option. He put up big numbers at junior college. He was so-so for the Huskers, missed a big chunk of this year due to the fact that he was hurt. But best of luck to him.
0: I don't know how he would transition to the NFL. I I just, like he mentioned, his speed. and I think he knows that, obviously. I just don't know if he has what it takes. I hope I'm wrong, but it's just... I don't know. He's a straight-ahead, power-running right. type of guy.
8: You
2: don't right. want to try to yeah. run a yeah. bunch of sweeps with him. And Creighton is into the Sweet 16 for the first time in 47 years. They looked pretty good last night, mm-hmm. taking care of mm-hmm. Ohio, 72-58.
0: Those five starters, goodness. I mean, their balance from all five of their, their bench is pretty decent as well. But uh, that, that's a team. I don't know if they'll give a Gonzaga a good run, maybe for a little bit. But Gonzaga's so good. That is an interesting matchup. That will be a game worth watching. All right, good stuff. One Nebraska team thriving, the
9: other not so much.
4: Thank you, Jason.
0: time for midday news it means david schroeder has stepped in our wonderful news director yes give you some high praise <laughs> i appreciate no, it as well <laughs> uh, but sad news today continuing these fire investigations from one yesterday and then a house fire in Kearney, and
8: we've now found out uh, some more information and the the name of the victims unfortunately absolutely so uh, terrible news here in the central of nebraska the furnace county attorneys and a. Uh, Sheriff's offices have identified the victim in that rural Eastern Furnace County fire as 18-year-old Alan Jerry Weatherwax, also known as A.J., The fire was reported in a farm shop building around 1030 yesterday, about six miles southwest of Oxford. The body was found deceased inside the building by fire and rescue personnel. The cause of the fire and cause of death remains under investigation by the Nebraska State Fire Marshal and Furnace County Attorney's Offices. The Oxford Fire and Rescue, Stamford Fire, Furness County Sheriff's Office, and Furness County Emergency Management responded to that fire. Meanwhile, the names of three victims who died in last week's Kearney House fire have been released. Buffalo County sh- Attorney Sean Etherton has identified them as 39 year old Lori Montgomery, 4 year old Austin Montgomery, and 2 year old Emma Montgomery. The cause of that fire also remains under investigation by Kearney Volunteer Fire Department, Kearney Police Department, Nebraska State Fire Marshal's Office, and the Buffalo County Attorney. As he has done for the past year since the pandemic began, Governor Pete Ricketts held a news conference yesterday to give an update on the state's response to COVID-19. Both he and state chief medical officer Dr. Gary Antone commented on how the addition of the AstraZeneca vaccine would be positive in the fight against coronavirus infections in Nebraska
2: that the more vaccines we have, the more that we can distribute to people and get vaccines in arms. That's how we work our way through this pandemic. So the more that we, you know, when you get a vaccine, it allows your body to develop those antibodies. Those antibodies are what fight off the disease and keep you out of the hospital and and ultimately prevent death. So the more that we can get that to folks, the the better off we're going to be.
8: Dr. Gary Antone also weighed in on the AstraZeneca vaccine.
2: All four now, if we include AstraZeneca, which will be, I think, asking the FDA in the next few weeks for an emergency use authorization, all four will show 100% effectiveness in preventing hospitalizations and deaths.
8: Well, AstraZeneca said Monday that the vaccine was 79% effective overall at preventing symptomatic cases of COVID-19, including in older people. Also yesterday, the uh, national media outlets were reporting that some of the data that might have been used uh, to submit the reports on the vaccine may have been outdated. So it remains to be seen whether that vaccine will be approved, but it is showing promise. Kansas legislators have approved a measure that would give judges and prosecutors a little more than two years to clear a backlog of criminal cases that built up during the coronavirus pandemic. The Kansas House voted 114 to 7 to pass a bill that would suspend until 2023. Legal deadlines for criminal cases meant to protect defendants' constitutional right to speedy trials. That bill goes to Governor Laura Kelly because the Senate approved it last week. Reporting on the Rural Radio Network, I'm Dave Schroeder. Bryce get on the Rural Radio Network, and today
5: we are joined by the Nebraska Department of Agriculture Director Steve Wellman. Director Wellman, it is National Ag Week. Tuesday is National Ag Day, uh, a nice time to look at uh, the agriculture industry here in Nebraska and celebrate the hard work that uh, men and women in agriculture do, right?
7: Yeah, it's great to have a, uh, a specific day and a week officially to celebrate agriculture and how it touches all of our lives every day.
5: Well, I was mentioning to you that uh, we've we've done a little bit of celebrating of agriculture lately. Of course, we did have meat on the menu day this past Saturday, and uh, a lot of folks were celebrating the fact that uh, here in America, we get to choose uh, the kind of food we do eat. So tell us, how are some of the ways you're celebrating agriculture this week as part of National Ag Week?
7: Well, first of all, we we love, we love to talk about agriculture is the heart and soul of Nebraska, and our 43,000 45,700 farm and ranch families that keep our state going year after year. So it really all depends and we all rely on our farm and ranch families that uh, deliver the goods to us uh, each year in a greater quantity and using uh, less resources. So they consistent, consistently improve what they're working on and, and the products they deliver to us. The Department of Agriculture is planning to, um, The Department of Agriculture has several activities scheduled to celebrate uh, and recognize Ag Week. Tuesday and Wednesday of this week, Governor Ricketts and I and some others will be making stops across the state to feature ag-related businesses and our farmers and ranchers. The Nebraska Department of Ag Facebook page will feature trivia contests with prizes, and our Nebraska Agricultural Youth Council will be doing educational activities with elementary students in Lincoln. Well, it
5: sounds like, uh, once again, going to be a busy week here for the staff and uh, the folks that work hard there at the Nebraska Department of Agriculture to promote the agriculture industry. From your perspective, why is it important, uh, you mentioned uh, getting into some of those elementary schools and engaging people on social media, why is it important to do this each year on National Ag Day and during National Ag Week?
7: Well, Nebraska agriculture impacts everybody every day. We, We realize it when we have the food on the plate, but we don't always think about how agriculture impacts us in other ways, through the economy, for example, or through the environmental benefits. Our economy, Nebraska's agriculture, is the largest economic driver and job creator by supporting one out of four jobs and delivering over $21 billion to our gross uh, receipts each year for the state of Nebraska. And there's a strong connection between the value of agricultural production and a more robust local and state economy. When agriculture does well, our state does well. So we, we certainly want to think about the economic impacts. Uh, agriculture also has many environmental impacts. We think about biodiesel, for example. When biodiesel is compared to petroleum-based diesel, biodiesel reduces greenhouse gases by 80% while emitting 47% less particulate matter. Corn-based ethanol delivers environmental benefits when compared to gasoline, emitting 43% less greenhouse gases and reducing tailpipe emissions. Plus, it saves the consumers about 22 cents a gallon when they fill up their vehicles. So agriculture definitely touches everybody's lives, day to day, uh, through the economy, the environment, and the food on our plates.
5: Well, this week and uh, as we approach the end of March here, Director Wellman, there's a lot of optimism out there in the ag industry. Prices have been increasing in the uh, row crops in particular lately, so people are getting excited about planting. I want to ask you where you see the most optimism or the best opportunity moving forward in the agriculture industry uh, over the past few years. I know we've talked about uh, developing livestock operations and expanding the farm in that way. Anything in particular you're excited about this year and uh, want uh, producers to know about?
7: Well, we're certainly happy to see an increase in our market value for our grains and, and uh, most of our livestock. So, so that's always a good place to start is having an opportunity for increased revenue due to the market situation. Uh, from from livestock production in Nebraska if we go back from 2015 and compare to where we are now and in, in or were in 2020 we've seen good growth in in cattle production in Nebraska and hog uh, feeding and production in in Nebraska also so over 1 million head of of cattle and hogs combined were added to our state in those 5 years from 2015 to 2020 and then we can take a look at the poultry side, uh, Lincoln Premium Poultry, Tyson Smart Chicken, Hendrix, uh Layers. I mean, there's there's been a, a big growth in, in poultry production also in Nebraska. So I think that all bodes well for our state as we continue to grow the livestock, the value-added portion of, of turning our corn and soybeans into a value-added uh, meat product uh, that's utilized here in Nebraska and around the world.
5: Well, Director Woman looks like you've got a busy week ahead celebrating agriculture. I know on Tuesday it looks like uh, you and the governor are going to head over to a bowl sale, uh, the Friends in Sale. So uh, lots of things in your calendar. full day of tours on Wednesday as well. Appreciate you taking the time today to uh, talk about National Ag Week.
7: Well, thank you, Bryce. And certainly we, we like to focus on our farms and ranches, but we also thank the businesses that support them every day to deliver a safe and sustainable supply of food, feed, and fuel.
5: Absolutely. NDA Director Steve Wellman joining us over the phone today as we kick off National Ag Week. I'm Bryce Duskett reporting from the Nebraska Soybean Works Cityo, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their Checkoff.
2: Good news! KRVN is now available on your voice activated smart speaker. Log into Amazon and search KRVN to enable our skill. Ask your device to open KRVN,
3: and Alexa will take it from there. With the business report, I'm Bob and major indexes have been little changed in afternoon trading as a drop in bond yields pushed down banks and industrial companies. Big technology companies, which tend to benefit from lower bond yields, were slightly higher. The S&P 500 was down less than one tenth of a percent. The NASDAQ composite was down three-tenths of a percent, while the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down one-tenth of a percent. Energy prices were moving sharply lower, with the price of oil falling 4.7 percent to $58.69 a barrel, weighing down Marathon Oil, Hess Corporation, and Occidental Petroleum. Sales of new homes plunged 18.2% in February as severe winter weather in many parts of the country and a lack of supply took a toll on the housing industry. The Commerce Department reports that sales of single-family homes dropped to a seasonally adjusted annual rate of 775,000 last month, the slowest sales pace since May of last year. AstraZeneca's release of encouraging data about its coronavirus vaccine from its U.S. trial raised hopes that the drug company could put a troubled rollout behind it. But just hours after the announcement, American officials expressed concerns that AstraZeneca had included outdated information from its study and that it may have provided an incomplete view of the efficacy data. The company says the results it released included information through February 17th, but appeared to be consistent with more up-to-date data. The company that makes heavy-duty diesel Ram trucks is telling some owners to park them outdoors due to the risk of an engine fire. Fiat Chrysler is recalling just over 20,000 of the trucks, mainly in the U.S. and Canada. The company says the 2021 pickup and chassis cab trucks have heater relays that can overheat and, in rare cases, cause fires. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Brogan.
1: Wildfires wow, can bring the good and the bad. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. We know that there has been acres of grassland in both Kansas and Nebraska that have been scorched by wildfires this spring. And a careful manage of those burned areas after the fire is highly important for your grass recovery. K-State range and pasture management specialist Walt Fick says that pasture performance following a wildfire has been researched. And part of the issue is that wildfires usually occur before the pastures start greening up.
9: Most of the wildfires occur, you know, November through March. Those wildfires, they, they occur under conditions that aren't real conducive to burning normally. Wildfires, they happen, you know, there's high winds, low humidities, temperatures are actually higher, and when it's not greened up at all, it doesn't take much to get it ignited, and we, consequently, you can have a wildfire.
1: And then, depending on the wildfires, the post-fire damage to grass productivity can sometimes be substantial.
9: Uh, a lot of the data we have goes back to some March fires and fall fires. There's one case that compared with November. March fires at, at Hayes was, was studied pretty uh, significantly a couple different times in our past. You know, of course, that's more an area dominated by short grasses. Mm-hmm. And, you know, buffalo grass, blue grandma, frankly, don't respond very well to fire, particularly not when it's early like that in, in say, March. Bunch grasses, a uh, little blue stem. if you have an area with, with little blue stem, you know a bunch grass, that fire goes through there, set there and smolders pretty hot on that crown. So it's another species that tends to be decreased. and I know that March fire I'm thinking about near Hayes it actually reduced yields 65 to 77% you know that summer following the fire. Of course consequent of that if, if you have reduced yields, you're probably going to need to start uh, reducing stocking rates.
1: So that kind of opens up the next question is to how much should stocking rates be reduced?
9: Well, again, you know, based on that reduced forage production, I, I mentioned where you're getting a you know, 60% reduction of season following a wildfire. Uh, that's probably what you ought to look at for reducing your stocking rates. And maybe in western central Kansas, even the second year, we might still have to look at, at some reduction. Flint Hills, uh, again, if, you know, our grasslands, developed with fire so that they're pretty resilient and they recover pretty well but still even in the Flynn Hills a wildfire during that dormant period we might have to look at reducing stocking rates 10 or 15 percent.
1: Those comments with K-State range and pasture management specialist Walt Fick. While well, credit that in a large and hefty fuel load created by a good early growing season last year and the ongoing dryness in numerous areas, a fire management officer with the Kansas Forest Service at Kansas State University says there's value in understanding fire behavior. Dennis Carlson talks about what's the lending to this year's aggressive fire activity.
6: Fire behavior, we look at that as a triangle. So you got your fuels, your topography, and your weather especially when you start looking at the fire and the humidity levels. Uh, As you go further down in humidity, your fire intensity will significantly increase. And as fire intensity significantly increases, now one thing a fire needs is oxygen. It starts pulling oxygen and that accelerates the movement of that fire. Even under, it may not be an incredibly windy day, that fire can start to basically produce its quote own wind and, and move rapidly.
1: And Carlson also stresses those that are conducting prescribed pasture burns this spring to closely check their weather expectations beforehand. I'm Susan Littlefield, the World Radio Network
10: live on the Rural Radio Network as we check in on the closing grain markets with John Payne, senior marketing analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter this week in grain. John, an impressive close to the grain complex today with a lot of green on the screen. What do you see as the big mover here today? Do you find it more in the oat market there or in the edible oils with soybean oil? Well,
11: oats is bananas and the old saying is gentlemen never trade oats. So uh, you know, beside it being a leading indicator and to see it close up 3%, uh, that's, that's about all I can say about it. But in the case of bean oil, soybean oil specifically, uh, you know, there's just bullishness all around. You know, you're getting data, uh, uh foreign countries that import are starting to drop tariffs or drop, uh, you know, import taxes. They're just trying to get the price as cheap as they can. And right now you're seeing supply have a little bit of a problem finding a home. It's tough getting out of Brazil right now. I and mean, there's just traffic jams of boats sitting off the coast uh, of Rosario and uh, Paranawa, and they're just really looking to export whole beans. So com- competition for bean oil is har- harsh right now. Uh, even in the U.S., I know a couple of buyers that have had a hard time acquiring products through July. So near term here, I think there's a lot of value, and I think it's gonna keep the bean markets up um, because if beans fall, I mean, it's gonna incentivize, it's gonna incentivize or decentivize the crush, especially if meal falls. So in reality here, I think, uh, uh, bean oil leaked away and, and uh, 60 cents would
10: be the next stop when we're looking at uh, the livestock trade which a lot of that grains going over into it we see pork belly say climbing over 200 dollars again another strong move in those lean hog futures does that continue to i guess on the back side of its support if hog producers are getting more money does that give longer term support back over the soybean complex
11: what well, should um you know, I think everybody right now, now, beater pigs are expensive. So you're starting to see that bite into it. Um that's, that's part of it. But I think a lot of this is really going to have to do with what, what China does on their export front. Normally they'll back off in Q2. Uh, this kind of made the indication here via price, seeing the you know, price come off here that maybe they're, they got ample supply in the near term and don't need to import as much. So um that's, that's going to drive the markets here. I look at cattle versus, uh, pork specifically and your record um, near-record tightness between uh, the, the pork price and the beef price. So uh, all in all here, I think you're going to see the need to feed continue to stay strong, and then the oil markets both on bean oil and corn oil as well. I mean, there's a need for that too, and um, I think, you know, we're a little bit of a lull pattern here. You see wheat prices getting weaker, but um, this is, a, you know, kind of a pre-harvest break in my opinion just based off the weather. I don't think there's any big change in in feed prices long term.
10: That's John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago. Learn more at DanielZagMarketing.com. Do remember, though, trading futures and options involve risk of loss. and may not be suitable for all investors. Do
0: consider these risks before investing. All right, thank you very much, Clay. That'll wrap up this Tuesday edition of Midday. If you missed anything, you can catch the Midday podcast sponsored by DaVinci Motors. Wherever podcasts are available or krvn.com.